moment, and we're going to talk today, hence we're together, uh, about marriage and relationships. Um, and here's this whole series, Relationships, we're, we're talking about relationships because in other areas of our life, let's say our career, for example, we get plenty of training to, for our careers. Come on, we have uh, graduate school and postdoc and all of these things when preparation for your career. But when it comes to our relationships, you know, when you go to the courthouse to get your marriage license, they give it to you and just say, best of luck. Um, so there's not really much training we are given culturally when it comes to our relationships. But probably nothing influences your life more than the quality of your relationships. And the relationship that influences your life more than any other is your marriage relationship. So we're going to talk today about how can we have a healthy and happy marriage. Now let me give you sort of a a little bit of a thesis statement. (laughs) That a happy and healthy marriage is the result of a holy marriage. And here's what I mean. A marriage that is according to God's design and God's word. I love what Jimmy Evans, he and his wife Karen have a ministry called Exo Marriage. um, That has great books and resources on marriage. He says this, your marriage has a 100% chance of success. Watch this. If you do it God's way. The God's pattern. God's design. So today if you're married, there's going to be direct application the entire time for you. So husbands... Take notes. Come on, somebody. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to speak to you mostly. And and uh, but also, if you're single and you one day long to be married, come on. If you're single and you want to be married, just lift up your hand. Come on. Look around the room. Come on. No shame in that game. Okay. Play on, player. Now you got to act on it. You got to pray, but you also got to play. Okay. He's not kidding on that. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Um, ain't no shame in it, you know? You got to do something. You can't just sit there. Stay, stay focused. All right, moving on. If you are single and you're like, I don't ever intend to be married, uh, there's application for your relationships as well. So it will speak to regardless of who's in the room. I believe it'll speak to you in your season of life. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, that it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, We pray as we open it up today, Lord, and we look for guidance on our relationships, specifically this marital relationship, that you would speak to us, you would lead us, you would guide us by your word and by your spirit. Uh, And we just come postured to receive from you today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. We are going to ground today in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 21. You can read along on the screens or in your Bibles in your hand. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should also submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We are going to draw out from Paul's letter here in Ephesians 5 um, three qualities of a healthy marriage, uh, or to put it uh, in the context of our message, a holy marriage. And as we looked at this, um, one thing I want to say off the bat is Paul in this moment, Ephesians 5, he really communicates the the primary importance of marriage. He gets into some other relationships at the beginning of Ephesians 6. But he sets the tone by saying, listen, marriage is, and I want you to hear this, 
Marriage is the most important relationship in your life next to your relationship with God. Here's why. Because no other relationship resembles Christ's love for the church like marriage. So listen, if you have felt like, if you ever wondered why marriage is so hard, it's because the forces of hell are coming against your marriage. Because the enemy knows if I can disrupt the very relationship that resembles Christ's sacrificial love for the church, I can disrupt their relationship with God. So if you ever felt like, why is marriage so hard? That's why. And Paul reminds us, listen, can I tell you, your marriage is not just about you and your spouse. Your marriage is not just about your children. Your marriage is about what is happening for eternity. It is about Christ and the church. This is why we must work on our marriage, because it's so important to God. So let me share with you three qualities of a holy and healthy marriage. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes, is that we have a same team mentality. Same team mentality. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit means we are under the mission. We have a common mission. We are on the same team. And it's important you know that your spouse is on your team, not your enemy. <laughs> there may be days, there may be weeks, there may be seasons where it feels like that. But you are on the same team. It's important that we rightly perceive who our enemy is. It reminded me a few years ago when Judah was, he was four years old, he was playing soccer. If you ever watch four-year-old soccer, four-year-old soccer, to give you a picture if you don't know what that's like, just imagine chaos, right? That's what it is. There are some of us who are crazy enough to think you can organize chaos. You cannot. You no. just have to let it happen. And it's these four-year-olds just running after the ball. What happened so often was Judah's team, they would steal the ball from each other. And the coach would yell, same team. Like that was his main coaching. You know, just you're on the same team. It's important to know who's on your team because if not, you'll attack your teammate. Can I tell you, you and your spouse are on the same team. Here's how Paul said it in the very next chapter, Ephesians 6. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Let me give you context for your marriage. You are not fighting against your flesh and blood husband. Your flesh and blood wife. He says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Just a reminder for all of us. I know sometimes even as a follower of Jesus, we can get very naturally minded. But I want to just remind us this morning that we live in a supernatural world. That there are heavenly, there are things happening in the spirit we don't see. But can I tell you, it is just as real, if not more real, than the hand you see in front of your face. And Paul reminds us, hey, just to remind you, it's not against flesh and blood. There's principalities, there's rulers, there's authorities, and the unseen worms, mighty powers in the dark world, evil spirits in heavenly places, that we have a common enemy as in, our, in our marriage, and that is the devil who comes against our marriage and that we are on the same team. Yeah, when I first, when we came into our marriage relationship, um, I came and I brought high expectations. So anyone that knows me even a little bit know I, I carry high expectations of myself. But then the problem with that is that you bring that into the marriage and then I had expectations on top of that of what marriage would look like, right? And what it would be like because doesn't all of the, you know, the chick flicks for single women definitely prepares you for reality, right? And so I had all of these expectations, and the moment, if you've been married more than a day and you come back from your honeymoon alive, then you realize... <laughs> Which I hope you do come back alive. <laughs> you realize, like, wow, okay, what did I get into, right? And so when you're walking through that, the reality is when your expectations are not met, we begin to put kind of defensive walls up around our heart because we're like, I don't know, is this going to work? I don't know if, you know, we can do this. And you begin to kind of slowly distance yourself. And oftentimes it's really easy to see your enemy as the, as the, 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 um, the enemy. <laughs> you see your, your spouse as the enemy rather than realizing, wait a minute, we just stepped in to the representation of Jesus on the earth. That comes with a fight. That comes with a fight. 
And so when we uh, came back from our honeymoon <laughs> and got to know a couple in our church at the time, they were, they were kind of married. They were probably married 30 plus years. They were still kind of lovey-dovey, almost to the point where I was like, Jeremy, like, they, wow, what's <laughs> happening over here? We should get to know them. And we did. And they gave us two pieces of advice that have stuck with us ever since that day. Number one, stop looking at your spouse Mm. in their primary role as your spouse. Start to look at them as a son or daughter of God first. If you make that paradigm shift, that changes everything. Because the next time you want to go, you know, you're talking, you're bad-mouthing in your head because you never do it out of your mouth, right? Nobody does that. But when, but when you're thinking things about them, you, your second thought, which is the godly thought, the replacement thought, is, man, this is God's son. This is God's daughter. What does he have to say about them? Because that needs to be what I filter everything through. And that does not come automatically because we are flesh and blood. So that is a retraining, that's a renewing of our mind in order to put on the right mindset for marriage. The second thing that they said was try, make it your goal to outserve one another. I was like, wow, well, that's very different because I came in thinking you were going to serve me. <laughs> it's very different. So again, it's a new mindset. It's a new way of thinking about things. And so the next time that you get frustrated with your spouse because they didn't meet your expectations or they didn't do something the way you would have done them, and these little, these little foxes that start to, to kind of eat away at the love relationship that mm. you should have with one another, you can say, wait a minute. I've seen this before. This is the enemy's tactic to get us distracted so we'll begin to fight one another. Or worse, we, we begin to kind of fall into withdrawal. And in every relationship, there's one who likely wants to withdraw. The other one wants to fight. I, I'll, I'll let you figure out who that is. She's but, a fighter. But again. <laughs> She's brutal. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cycle. No, it's not that. It's more like I want the solution. But it's like, it's again, not respecting the space that he might need to get to the solution, right? It's like my, my way is right. And so when, when, we're, when we're coming into this place of oneness, it really requires us to say, wait a minute, you have to stop the train of thought that might come naturally. And the second train of thought is, that we have to replace is like, okay, wait a minute, the enemies at work here. Hmm. We are on the same team. In fact, we have an illustration to show you what this might look like. So those conversations helped us to be able to reposition ourselves for the long haul. And um, I know no one has done this before, but we really hope this will stick with you because it's helped us tremendously, which is instead of we all naturally come into marriage with our defenses up. And I've got this on the wrong one, but it'll work. We come into marriage like this, right? We're given jabs and sometimes even the low ones, right? The ones that hurt that only somebody that loves you can do. It's not in the script. (laughs) I'm giving you a little taste of your own medicine. Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) But when we realize this truth, it allowed us to cover each other's blind side. Man, maybe we're we're actually on the same team and we have an enemy out here. So when we begin to start to, to, the tension begins to build, we're able to go on the, the, the defense or the offense rather and say, wait a minute, let's get in position because the enemy is up to something. And we can begin to fight together. In fact, Ecclesiastes 4.12 actually says that, um, that two can actually defend themselves much better. Because one can be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. And it's God's design that we would, we would fight back to back the enemy out here, not one another. It's good. I kind of like touching you there back to back. That was nice. I'm sorry. It's okay. We're married. Not up here. <laughs> uh, Mark 10, Jesus said this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Someone write that down. You're supposed to leave mama, okay? That was for someone, okay? Move on. You're no longer two. So two will become one flesh. You're no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Here's what Christ is, is communicating is that, is that you, have to, you have to fight for your marriage, you have to fight. Here, here's, you have a common enemy, but there are other things and other relationships in your life that will try to get in the way of your marriage. And some of them are good things. But remember, it's not the most important thing. 
Your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. That's the order. And here's some examples of, of, of different relationships and different things in your life that can get in the way of your marriage. In our Western culture, especially in a metropolitan area like D.C., oftentimes people will lay their marriage on the altar of career success. And, you, and we'll have a mistress in our life, and it's our job. Uh, and we will end up giving so much to our job that our, our spouse gets to leftover, leftover, like reheated twice. <laughs> and we wonder why our marriage is suffering while our career is thriving. And uh, so you have to draw some healthy boundaries. That might mean you saying no to your boss so you can say yes to your wife. So can I tell you, listen, your boss won't be with you forever, but your wife will. <laughs> so, so make sure you're sacrificing at the right place. You've got to have a job. You've got to work, all of that. I'm not saying, but be careful because it's very common. Secondly is children. But oftentimes, listen, I, we often talk about this, are having younger children. We have three that are nine and under. And a lot of times younger children, they are not consciously thinking about how can I help mom and dad have a healthy marriage? <laughs> They are thinking about me, myself, and I. And how can I get what I want to get right now, regardless of how it impacts mom and dad? So here's what that means. Mom and dad, you have to be the one that sets the boundary. Like, this is our date time. That means it's not your time. That, that this is our time. Like, you got to draw boundaries. Like, for us, too, very early on, we drew a boundary. We didn't allow a child to ever sleep in our bed. Now, I'm not saying that stuff says the Lord, but there are certain things that married couples do in bed you cannot do when your child is in the bed. Come on, somebody. And you cannot have a healthy relationship without a healthy bed life. So therefore, lock the dough and say, go to sleep. They go knock on the door. You say, go to bed right now, or I'm taking everything from you. You know, it's just... You have to fight. I'm talk- and then with your kids, like for us, we do like about every quarter we get a getaway together. Like tell your kids, hey, because initially our kids will be like, why are you leaving us? Why don't you take us? Because when I take you, you, I got to do work. They give you a guilt trip. And it was yeah. harder. I'm going to speak for, for the mom for that, that it's hard, right? They're pulling on your heartstrings. Um, you know, will you ever come back and all these things. And so I would be like, okay, I'm going to have to lean into you to like draw the line because I, yeah. it, it's, it's doing something to my heart. And, and I think t- tell your kids, especially once they get to like, I think for our children, four or five, they started to understand. We tell them, hey, mom and dad want to invest in our marriage so we can be our best for you. So we tell them that. We tell them, like, it's not that we don't love you. Like, we want to love you for the long haul. And part of this is mom and dad having time together so we can love each other. So have those conversations when appropriate with your kids so they understand. Another relationship you have to make sure does not interfere with your marriage relationship is uh, with your family of origin. Now, a lot of times what happens is, I always tell couples in premarital this, you go through a premarital process, but your mama does not. Come on, somebody. Your dad does not. So you prepared for marriage. They haven't been. And sometimes what can happen is unintentionally, like maybe before marriage, your mom would show up to your house unannounced, and that was okay. But if your spouse has a problem that your mama shows up unannounced, you need to have a conversation with mama and say, Mama, I love you, but I did not marry you. And listen, it will be uncomfortable, but can I tell you, it's worth it. If your dad comes over every Saturday and eats your food and watches your TV and your spouse has a hard time with that, you need to talk to daddy, okay? You have to understand the relational dynamic has changed. One last thing I'll say about that. Do not discuss your marital issues with anyone who is related to you by blood. Here's why. Your family will always take your side. So the moment you tell them, like you're discussing, even go this far, if you're having an argument with your spouse or a heated disagreement and your mom calls, do not pick up the phone. Because even if you said, oh, hey, mom, she'll be like, I hear stress in your voice. Are you okay? Is my baby okay? What is she doing to you? You know I knew you shouldn't have married her. You know, 
No. Hey, can I help you? You fight for your spouse, even if that means you block out your family of origin to some degree. Like you're not married to mama no more. She's your wife. He's your husband. Fight for it. Defend it. Lastly is with friendships. Here's what I'm going to say about friends. When you get married, your close friends should not just be for you. They should be for your marriage. Because here's what you don't want. You have an argument with your husband. And you go talk to your girlfriend. And she says, I never liked him. I told you not to marry him. You should leave him. You don't want that. You want to be able to go to your friends and they're saying, hey, I know it's hard. Let's talk through it. But your marriage is worth fighting for. You need people who are for you. And that might mean changing some friendships. It's important. One of the, the, the best ways that you can fight for your marriage, and this is important. A lot of times what happens, I've seen this, is the reason there's conflict, there's tension, there's division in a marriage you know, the word division simply means two different visions. Jesus says this, that a divided household will fall. And a lot of times what happens is the reason we have tension is because there's two different visions in the marriage. That we haven't come under a common vision. Let's illustrate this for you. Um, that it's, it's, what can happen in marriage is you come together, right? And your own, you're your own people. And you come together... And what happens is, is that you get married, but you have different visions when it comes to different areas of your life. So what it can look like is this, is that let's say one of you wants to move back to Florida and the other one wants to stay here in D.C. So what happens is it creates some unnecessary tension. And let me help you out. The will of God is for you to stay right here in D.C., okay? I'll just help somebody out, okay? Okay. Or the one person wants to have three children and the other one wants to have no children. And the one person uh, is saying, hey, I want to live debt free. The other person is saying, I want a new car next month. (laughs) And what happens? You can pull hard on it. You create unnecessary tension in your marriage because you have two different visions. You haven't actually have to come through a common vision of saying, here as for us, this is our vision. This is, and this is the kind of conversations you have to have. How are we going to raise our children? How are we going to manage our finances? What's our perspective on debt? Where do we want to live long term? Where do we see ourselves in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years? Where do we see ourselves to come under a common vision? The Bible says this, where there is no vision... The people perish. Write this down. Where there is no vision, your marriage will perish. But when you have a common vision, here's where we're going. Here's what we see in our future. Can I tell you, the Bible says this, where there's unity, God commands a blessing. So if you want, I will. Where there's unity, God commands a blessing. If you want a blessed marriage, you need a unified marriage. So that means to come together under a common vision. Yeah, and if if you don't have a common vision, then you will inevitably end up competing. Because the reality is while, yes, we are created equal and got different, different functions, we'll get to that, but... All things are not equal at all times in all seasons, right? And so if you've been married again more than even six months, you realize that life changes, life circumstances, the loads change, jobs change, more responsibility, less responsibility. And so there's got to be a flexibility um, as a part of that. And if, and if there's not, then, you know, we're demanding equal at all times, right? And the reality is like, wait a minute, for the common vision, what does this season require of me um, that I can get under this this vision, whatever it looks like? And so um, when we first got married, I remember asking God, I had the very uh, personal conversation, like, God, we're so different. How in the world are you going to take these two visions, the vision that I have and the vision he has, and merge them into one? I don't cognitively see how this is going to happen. And we're, very, we're just very different people. And yet now, a decade later, I can sit back and I can see, wow, God, 
Thank you that we didn't give up in the seasons where, it, where there, you know, it felt like I was dying and not thriving, right? Mm-hmm. Because in those seasons, and I'm sure you've, you know, it's always been so it's beautiful been and wonderful Every all day. the time for me. Yes, totally. Um, but, but in this season, thank God I didn't give up because now, a decade later, and I can't wait to say that in Jesus' name, 50 years from now, that there's like, man, look at the tapestry of God, that, that he's able. Oneness doesn't happen because you say, I do. Oneness is a process. If you don't give up, <laughs> much like our walk with, with God, we will experience all that God has for us if we don't give up in the process of oneness because there is a give and take in every season. It's good. I'm like a good wine. I get better with age. That Come is on. true, actually. Uh, but I'll say this. There's a great resource. Uh, we love to be real practical. It's called the Vision Retreat Workbook. I would say if you are married, I would recommend to buy this book right now. It's, it's great. Here's why. It'll walk you through questions to get a common vision. Uh, it's by Jimmy and Karen Evans. They have, again, that ministry, Exo Marriage. But what we did the first time was we did like an, an annual, we did a getaway where we had discussions prayerfully around a common vision. And now every year we do a quarterly sort of overnight and we do an annual getaway. That's a whole other story. If you're married, get away with your spouse. It's important. Without your children. Remember, vacations with children are called trips. Vacations without kids are called vacations. You need a vacation, even if it's 24 hours. Um, but we review the vision. We review, like, are we still doing what we feel like God's called us to? Is there any areas we need to adjust? Because missing drift is, is natural. Okay, true story, and this is not in our notes, so don't get scared. But um, First Service didn't get this. But when he proposed to me, he literally, because he uh. knew I needed vision, like I just would need to know where I was going at least a little bit. And he literally, <laughs> he printed out a vision of the, the qualities that he saw for our marriage. Now, it wasn't like a step-by-step plan. It wasn't this, but it was like, these are the qualities that I can promise you I do. And we have it, I have it printed and hanging. And you know what's funny? A decade, we, 13 years later that we've known each other. Yes, it was a quick engagement. He's not playing about that. He's like, when you know, you know, you go for it. Um, and, and we have it hanging. And when I look at it, I'm like, wow, God, your faithfulness, like your goodness, that these things look nothing like I thought they would, but you have fulfilled it in your good time. And so the same is true for you. It may not look like anything right now, but don't give up. Continue to do the hard work of becoming the wife and the husband that you desire to be. And you wake up and you realize, wow, like we actually are living the journey. We're living it. Yeah, that's good. I had that spirit of jagged edge. Girl, let's just get married. I'll meet me at the altar. That was not in the notes either. don't, Don't wait. Or you can go ahead. We can go back to notes. It's my turn? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's going to lead us to our second point. Self- Rock that on Spotify later today. Come on. Get a little romance in the, in the okay. house. Okay. All right. Not on the notes. Selfless love. Point number two, selfless love. If we're going to have the qualities of being of having a marriage that's on purpose and healthy, then we're going to have to see ourselves rightly. Because that's why even last week, Jeremy talked about relationships and wholeness and bringing your whole self, working on you. Be the person you want, to, you want to love. Does that make sense? Like you've got to work on you because mm. if you don't, then you bring in, you're putting in those expectations on someone else to fulfill it and it will not be fulfilled. It's good. Because it can't. God created you to be whole so that two whole people can come together and create a life under God that he has for you. Thank you. Um, Mark 12, 31 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Why does it say as yourself? Because it is impossible to love your neighbor, mm. your spouse, if you don't value yourself. That's good. And, and a lot of people walk into marriage not fully understanding their, their own value. And here's the reality. You will get lost <laughs> because marriage is a life of service and you will lose yourself in the process. And some of that isn't bad, actually, because it burns the selfishness out of you. But there is a piece of it where if you don't know who you are coming in and you don't know whose you are, right? Daughter, that's my identity. I'm not a spouse first. I'm a daughter, I'm a daughter of God, and I matter. If you don't understand that about yourself, yeah. then, 
then, then it is just, you're going you're, you're gonna to cause, it's going to be a constant fight and constant tension. We have to look at God's original design because we believe that design actually reveals your destiny. We talk about it in Next Steps a lot that, you know, that's that question in our culture. Mm. And the reality is like, if you find yourself in those places where you're like, who am I? You've got to go back to God's word. Who at the origin, what did God, what does he have for me? And who has he called me to be so that we can grow in that together? We have to understand what real love is. And again, I mentioned it before, but you're not, don't take your cues from the latest chick flick because it's, it's so different than that. That's what culture says it is. It's fleeting. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But the Bible says, mm. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, that love is patient. It's mm. kind. It does not envy or boast, right? It's not keeping score. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. Mm. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Lord, help us all. There are moments it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't say, I told you so. Or worse, sit there and smirk when it doesn't happen the way you said it would. But rejoices with the truth. And this is impossible to do if we don't receive love from the Father first. We have to know that we're loved and be, be firm in our own identity so that we can bring our best self and our whole self to the relationship. That's good. You know, the Ephesians 5 scripture, Paul what he does in this moment, when he says to, about husbands to love your wife as Christ did the church, he's actually uh, communicating that both husbands and wives, men and women, have equal value. Now, in that culture, that was, would have been um, a very different uh, line of thought than what was commonly carried by people. Men were viewed as having more value in culture than women were. So Paul in this moment is saying you are equally valuable But watch this, though. This is important. Equal in value, different in function. And that's important. Because if we don't get it right, because here's what happened. You're not just a spouse. You're a husband. You're not just a spouse. You're a wife. There's a different name because there's different roles that you play in the context of the relationship. And I think it's important that you recognize that, you understand that. And part of it is due to how you're designed. So even ask yourself in the context of your marriage when it comes to go back to point one, come under a common vision. But then what are the functions of our relationship and who should play out these functions? And part of it is look at what's your comparative advantage. Like, for example, Christina is more nurturing than I am. I'm more of the disciplinarian with our children. She's more of the planner. I bring the fun. Come on, somebody. And if you're a planner, marry someone who's fun, okay? Um, And if you're fun, but you're spontaneous, marry a planner. Um, He makes fun of me. There is a thing called planned spontaneity. That means that from this moment that I planned, I can be spontaneous. Thank you. Thank you. There are others like me. I told her she needed help when she said that. We got married. I'm like, you talk to your counselor about that one. (laughs) Moving on. But, but, is, but then there's some functions, can I be just really practical, that are neither of your comparative advantages, but still have to happen. I.e., it is neither of our strengths to do the dishes. Can anyone say amen? Come on, right? Like, I've not been gifted or wired to do dishes. Uh, neither of us were gifted or wired to fold laundry, right? But how many of you know you have to fold your drawers? You have to clean dishes. So we then looked through what are our household responsibilities and who's going to do what? Like, what's our role? And that can change throughout seasons. You have to have that, keep that dialogue open. But it's important. See, if you don't have a common vision and then you do not discuss your function, here's what the research shows us. You are prone to do what you saw in your parents. And maybe your spouse, maybe you don't want to have the same relationship your mom and dad had. Maybe growing up, like the, the way they split the functions is not what you envision, but you are most prone to replicate what you've seen. On a side note, it's important once you have a vision of the kind of marriage you want to have, then you need to find some mentors who are living that out, that you can listen from, you can learn from, you can look at the, how they relate to each other so you can grow in your marriage. Um, but it's important to value each other. Paul says to the men that you are the head of your household. And then he gets a little more clear on what headship looks like. He brings some clarity. 
Um, that headship is that you will love your wife as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. So here's what Paul says. As a husband, your role is to be the chief servant of your home. That's the primary role of a headship is that you serve. The reason we so willingly follow Christ's lead is because he gave his life up for us. He served us. So like, yes, we give him our life because of all that he's done for us. And Paul says to husbands, this is your model. Culturally speaking then, very different than the norm. Culturally speaking today, very different than our norm. But we must, listen, can I just challenge us today? We have to discern what's a cultural norm and what's biblical. Because sometimes they're very different. And don't allow your cultural norm to cloud your view and end up not, you're not, you're not walking in fully how God designed it. Peter dialed in a little bit more in 1 Peter 3, 7. He said this, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. By weaker partner, he's referring to physical weakness. So he's not demeaning or devaluing. He's just referring to typically husbands are stronger physically. As heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Watch this. Here's how much God cares about how much you you care for your wife, husbands. He said, so that nothing will hinder your prayer. He says, husband, if you are inconsiderate of your wife, God cares so much about how you treat his daughter, he won't listen to your prayers. That's how much God cares about how we treat our wives. As a father of two daughters, I get it. Come on, somebody. Like, in the future, their husbands don't treat them right. I'm be like, bro, I'm done. You know what I'm saying? I got less grace in God. I'd be like, listen, I'm kicking you out your own house. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's worth mentioning, too. Sorry, that wasn't in the notes. There's, these are values, but they're often aspiring values. Yeah. Because the reality is that we're all in progress. Right. And so I think it comes back to the vision. Like a lot of times it's aspirational values that are tied to the vision. And so when it doesn't look like your value and it's just more aspiring than actually lived out, those are moments and opportunities to revisit the vision in conversation. Yeah. And and here's what Paul's saying to make it practical. It's husbands. Be considerate as you live with your wives. So be considerate of your wife. When you say yes to that promotion and how it will influence your work hours, your travel, and your time at home. Be considerate of your wife when you come home from a long work trip and she's been with the kids for two hours. That might look like, hey, honey, you have the night off. I'm putting the kids to bed. Pray for me. Um, It's being considerate of her emotional needs. Let's say you haven't had an intimate conversation in a few days, a week. It's being considerate. It's when you're walking by a sink full of dishes. You're considering your wife. Like, and I'm not, I am not great at this. I'm I'm a work in progress. But like, try to always think through, am I considering how this decision I'm making for me? Because here's the truth. When you make a decision, it's not just about you anymore. When you get married, every decision you make impacts the person you're married to. So you're not making a decision for me. Well, this is best for me. It no longer really matters as much what's best for me as what's best for us. And that doesn't come natural. And it's not easy. And you're going to get it wrong. But still, it's, it's, it's aspirational. In fact, our model of leadership is Jesus. And the Bible says this, that he didn't come to be served, but to be served, but, but to serve. And that's our model. So here's a question. I, I want to ask all the men. Write this down, especially for those who are married. Is ask Someone your, wrote it on their hand this morning. So that's story. how serious this is. Put it as a background on your phone. Um, ask your wife, how can I better serve you? And then brace yourself. Come on. Can I be honest? First three, four years, I was terrible. I, I mean, being honest, I was not good in this department. We would go on dates, and I would ask her this question. True story. I want to free some people up. I would say, how can I better serve you? And we had just had our first child. She's like, and we were both working full time, but she was carrying, I mentioned this last week, she was carrying the 90% of household responsibility. I said, how can I better serve you? 
She was like, honestly, if you'd cook dinner sometimes, if you did the dishes, changed a diaper. And I said, that's where I draw the line. I don't change diapers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but she would say these things, and I would say, well, what else? Like, what else could I do? Could I buy you something? Could I just... Can I buy you something? Let's forget all about this. My, <laughs> my love language changed when we had kids. <laughs> so. But here's what I've learned. And I'm not, again, this is still, we had these conversations this week. Is asking her, how can I better serve you? And then you have to be willing to change. Be willing to do what she's asking you to do. Remember, your role is chief servant. My, your role as head of the household is to serve your family. And sometimes service, like we mean, is you give up your life. You give up what you want to do for the sake of, the thri- of the, your family, your marriage thriving. And it goes both ways because, you know, as, as I'll speak for females, I am one, that oftentimes you're, you can be so full, whether you're working, kids, all the things, right, that sometimes you can forget actually your your first ministry is to your spouse. And so on the flip side, you can be so busy serving everyone else and doing everything else that you're a part of that are good things, but you forget like, hey, you know, you haven't actually encouraged your spouse in a week and they could use it. Um, Or going the extra mile or just making, giving them time, just time. Um, Everything changes, you know, when when the season changes. It's good. First Peter 3, one through four says, Uh, It talks about submitting to your husband's wives. In the same way, submit yourself to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by by, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of an inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is at great worth in God's sight. And I thought, because I've been gifted with the personality that I have, I thought, well, I don't think I'm ever going to measure up. <laughs> that was my immediate reaction. But as I studied the word and got the word in me and valued it in this area in the way that I should, I realized that it's actually, it's all about submission to Christ. If you submit your heart to God, you'd be amazed at the transformation that can happen within this. And it doesn't, we're not talking about a personality here. We're talking about a quiet, gentle spirit of heart, meaning I'm not going to, Jeremy mentioned I, I was more the fighter. Well, that gets transformed on the inside of you, and then you're a fighter of peace, right? I'm going to fight for unity. I'm going to fight for peace. Mm. Um, and the quiet spirit within me, it, it's less about your personality and more about what's happening on the inside. Mm. And, you know, what I found is it is going to be impossible to submit to the God in someone else in any authority structure unless you have submitted your, your heart wholeheartedly to God first. Because there are many seasons, many seasons. And this is, I know we're talking about relationships, but this is authority in general with regards to just, if once we submit our lives to God and to his authority and to his sovereignty, it allows you to submit to the God in others, even when their behavior is not godly. Hmm. And that is what we're accountable for is God, how did I submit my heart to you as unto you within the structure that you have placed because I honor you that much? And that's really what it comes down to is, am I fully surrendered? Am I fully submitted to God in that process? Actually, Eve is referred to as the complementary helper when, when, when she's created with, with, Eve, with Adam. And this, actually come, this word helper comes from the word ezer, and it actually occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. And this means it's basically referred to as kind of like God is our help. God is our savior. He's our rescu- rescuer. He's our protector. And so what, why I talked about it's so important to know who you are and to know that you're a daughter first is because I had to reframe, man, God, you think a lot about me. I had to reframe some theology even when it came to marriage to say, man, you use the same word that you use for like God is our help. The same word that's used for describing the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do life without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't. 
Mm. It's impossible. And it's real impossible to do this well if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit at your side. And he was saying, hey, hey, helper, that is not a subservient attitude. It's good. That is the same. That is like God is my help. And that helped me reframe the value that I, that I needed in this relationship. And it helped a lot. And so God is speaking, and I know we'll talk a little bit about this, but talking to like, hey, you are equally valuable, son, daughter. You play different functions, and you express differently who I am as a good, good father. You express me in your fullness, and it's actually impossible unless you walk together because Jesus is in the church. That's the relationship we're representing. Well, you can only do that if we're both involved. Yeah. And we both show up with our whole self submitted under the headship of God. That's good. Which brings us to our final point, point number three. Third quality is surrender to Christ. And the worship team can come. Uh, and this is important because, as I mentioned earlier, that this relationship depicts Christ's love for the church. So it's so critical for Christ to be at the center point of your marriage. And let me say this as well. I think when it comes to, I know I mentioned about the husband being the head. And predominantly, Paul's referring to spiritually speaking. And can I tell you, just very practically, man, I know it can even seem overwhelming to think of spiritually leading, but just keeping Christ at the center of your life, of your marriage. The scripture says this about um, having a cord of three strands. I love this. That one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. But the cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That refers to husband, wife, Christ, God at the center, that the attacks will come. Remember, because of what marriage represents, attacks will come, tensions will come, disagreements will come. Like you're going to have to fight for your marriage. But keeping Christ at the center so that that relationship, that bond is not easily broken. And can I tell you, the only other person who cares more about you having a healthier marriage than you is God. Because he loves you, but because of also what marriage represents. So here's what that means is you both are submitted to him, that he will help your marriage. I'll give an example. A few years ago, we had a, a disagreement in the kitchen. Uh, I'm not sure. Anybody else ever wonder why arguments from the kitchen? Anybody else? I don't know why. If you know that, please help me. Uh, but we had, a, we had a, an argument, a passionate disagreement in the kitchen. So I walked into the family room. She stayed in the kitchen. And I was, I was kind of stewing about it. I was a little frustrated. And about 10 minutes passed, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict me that of the words I, I use, my tone. And he convicts me to forgive Christina. So I go back into the kitchen, and I apologize to her, and I ask her for her forgiveness. And in that moment, like, she said the Holy Spirit had been convicting her of the same thing. And in that moment, it was like immediate reconciliation. And can I tell you, when you have God at the center of your marriage, he can make irreconcilable differences reconcilable. He can, he can, what can seem to be, man, I don't know how we're going to solve this. I don't know how we're going to get through this. Can I tell you, as the scripture says, with God, all things are possible. Can I encourage someone today? With God, your marriage can be healthy and thriving. Amen? With God. Listen, by yourself, I'll be honest. I don't know how people do marriage without Jesus. (laughs) Marriage is hard enough with Jesus. Come on, somebody. Like, I got the power of God behind me, but there's still some days. Like, it's hard because of what's coming against you, but keeping Christ. So it can look simply like this. Man, do what you're doing today. I want to commend you. Worship together with your spouse. Serve together with your spouse. Pray together with your spouse. One of our favorite things is we ask each other, what is God doing in your life? What is God speaking to you? We have just faith conversations. Like, you don't have to, like, make it complicated. Just Start putting God at the center of your marriage. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And then lastly is this, is allow, Paul says this in Ephesians 5. He says to, to, to wash your wife with the water of the word, to cleanse. That word cleanse refers to a biblical term called sanctification. 
And it simply is to make us more like Christ, our holiness. And that in your marriage, is friction will happen. And here's what Paul's saying, is don't allow the friction of your marriage to merely frustrate you. Allow it to form you more into the image of Christ. And I have found there's probably no better discipleship tool in my life than this woman right here. Because in marriage, you are confronted with your own issues. And all the married people said, amen. You are confronted with your pride, your, your, your issues, your self-righteousness, all the things. And if you think it's your spouse, there's a good likelihood it's probably you, okay? But allow it to begin to form you more into all that God has for you. Yeah, and, you know, mission drift is completely normal. Uh, you know, you start out with, this is what it's going to be, and then life happens, and you're like, whoa, you wake up, how did, how did we get off track? What, this is not what we wanted. This is not what we asked. And I think in those moments, and we've had plenty of them, it's an opportunity to come back to the basics. What is the purpose for this marriage? It is to glorify Christ. Let us not be confused about this. <laughs> there are happy moments, and I say moments because that is what they feel like sometimes in some seasons. But the reality is that I am committed for me to my first husband, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because there are things that he can only fill in me that Jeremy and all of his wonder cannot. That was supposed to be funnier than it was, actually. Um, it's true. But... <laughs> There's a reality that I can only get that from God. And the same is true for Jeremy. Like, he has to get what he needs from God. And the same is true for every, every married couple in this room. We have to get what we need from God so we can bring and show up our whole self and remind ourselves, reset. Wait, what's the focus? What is the purpose of our marriage? What is the vision? Because vision drift happens. Mission yeah. drift happens. And when we have those opportunities where we want to go, in our separate ways, or we want to withdraw, and we don't want to, if we want to, you know, jab each other instead of jab the enemy and, and come back together and fight together, we have to remind ourselves of purpose. In fact, Tim Keller says, marriage is a major vehicle for the gospel's remaking of your heart from the inside out and your life from the ground up. Marriage is the great discipler if you will yield yourself to it. So a healthy marriage is the product of a holy marriage, a marriage that's according to God's design and His Word, one that has the same team mentality, that we have a common enemy, we fight for our marriage, has selfless love. We understand we are equally valuable but different in function, and one that's surrendered to Christ because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Can you bow your heads with me, church?